0: Are you seeing more e-powered bikes and scooters? What are the rules on that? We have questions because a teenager in Kelowna ended up in the ICU after falling from one of these e-scooters. Also today, celebrating 100 years of Daniel Mack, one of the oldest schools in Winnipeg, is having a huge reunion next month, and that was Greg's high school, and he went back to school to get the details. The Canadian Cancer Society's Daffodil Gala is coming up next week, and our guest today is the honorary chair, and she told her story, which is incredible. And Loren went on a bit of a neighborhood scavenger hunt yesterday, which inspired our chat today about your favorite neighborhood gems. I'm Brett McGarry alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. This is the Wednesday, September 13th podcast for the start. Good morning, it's Mackling McGarry and McNabb, and we begin with a question for you. Did you see anything interesting yesterday, if you happened to look up last night? I didn't see it. What were people seeing, Lauren? Well,
1: there's a couple different posts, you know, whether it's on Twitter or X or whatever that's called, or Instagram. Uh, people say, asking, you know, what are, what's going on over here? I see these string of lights going west to east over Head and Lee. This was around nine o'clock last night and so if you've seen them before you've probably first at that asked that question or realized it was the starlink satellites which i don't know what the circular path like they they go really fast around the world or on a regular basis every single day but when you see it for the first time there is something creepy about it it's this long string of lines and if you have a certain vintage you're like independence day man (laughs) it's First of all, I'm going to see Will Smith, and then there's going to be an alien, and it's kind of creepy.
2: It feels far too organized. Yes. And so that's the unsettling part, I think, for a lot of people. Yesterday, SpaceX did uh, launch 21 new satellites, and so I don't know if those were the what people were seeing last night, the new ones or the existing ones. Either way, when you do see them, it's like, hmm, for the first time, it's unlike anything you've seen in the sky before. So, yeah, you're probably <laughs> running to the social media sites and and Googling, what are those straight line lights in the sky? And fortunately, there's an answer to that question. There's <laughs> because, an answer. Because if there wasn't, then you'd really be freaked out.
1: There's an answer. But even when you know the answer, it's just still creepy to imagine these. Like, I get that's how the world operates and we need the satellites for all sorts of reasons. But to know that there's that many up there that they move at those speeds, what are they doing? You know, there's all sorts of questions that come to mind.
0: And it looks like, it, so there's a website called findstarlink.com mm-hmm. that tracks these things, and you can just punch in your location. So they went by last night. Looks like you'll be able to see them again. Uh, it says nine nine 9.28 p.m. Should be bright for about five minutes if you look from northwest to north, or north, yeah, north, in the nor, just look to the northwest. And then uh, they should be bright again on uh, Thursday night around 9.30 and then some dimmer views on Friday night and uh, Saturday. Well, like the next few days. We might be able to see these for the next few days, but dimmer after starting on Friday
1: night. And only for a matter of minutes, yeah. which tells you how fast they're moving. It's four minutes, five minutes, three minutes is what the estimated length of time you have to see them.
2: I have the app on my phone. It's called the ISS Tracker, the International Space Station Tracker. We were up at uh, Friends Lake. Must have been four or five summers ago already and uh, one of the guys we were with was like, "Oh yeah, the International Space Station should be coming overhead." I'm like, "What? You can see that?" He goes, "Yeah, I just got an alert. I've got the tracker on my phone." Oh, and so, and so, those sorts of things, you know, like you say, you know what's going on up there, Loren, and 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 the Julie. idea. Well, we like to think we know, how's that? I'm, I'm trying to feel confident in saying this, okay? Don't, don't rattle my confidence in, uh, in those that are exploring outer space. But it is kind of neat, Brett, to just to kind of be aware and to know what's going on. Every time we have Scott Young on the air, it's like having a little kid yeah. on the air because he just, he says, well, you don't need to worry about a blue moon or a full moon or a new moon or a blood moon or anything. To talk to me about the moon. Any night's a good night to look at the moon.
0: <laughs> yeah. when you So when you were at the lake, did it in fact go overhead? Sure did. And so being that you were at the lake and that you weren't in the city, how was that? Just a brighter light that you're able to track it. It's quite distinct in, in its
2: movement and you can sort of see it flashing.
1: It's pretty cool. That is cool. Yeah. And it, the problem is when you do see them, and this has happened to me, if you've been out with friends and had a few... <laughs> Yeah. You, you start to get into some deep conversations after you
0: see like the satellites go Oh, the by. whole existential the, the whole, conversation. Like, you're watching
1: it and it's two in the morning and oh. you just you, stay, you go a lot of places with it. That's yeah. fun.
0: You start having conversations about just how big the universe is small
1: and inconsequential your life is. (laughs) Where am I going? What am I going to do tomorrow? And who will I be? When I grow up
0: my YouTube algorithm, I watched one video about space. I can't remember what I was looking up. (laughs) So now half of the videos or not half, but a good chunk of the videos are just how big is the universe. And it was somebody figured out that our, not just our solar system, but our galaxy is like a dot. And that, that stretches like trillions of light years. It would take you, the, 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 the <laughs> so I just, uh, just the thought of the, the vast expanse. The panic that I feel. Yeah. I still
2: like to buy a Saturday newspaper because I want to see the beginning and the end and everything contained in one neat little tiny package. And so when you start thinking about infinite and the idea that it never ends, you can get a kind of a, one of those uh, <laughs> yes. gross pits in your stomach going I can never figure this out. That's the whole point. It just doesn't end. Don't try and think about where we, see. even to to verbalize it is difficult.
1: That's the plot in every other show these days, like the dimensions and the different worlds and space-time, you know, how you get from one, whatever, continuum to the other. Spider-Man's most recent movie, I can't remember what it's called. No Way Home is there's no way home because of all the different dimensions. Like I, my mind was blown and also lost. Oh yeah. I'm won- not
2: supposed to be here. The flash is like that. Yes, as well. and
1: there's so many like that now <laughs> that you actually, it's like kids get it. And I'm a grown woman sitting next to my son being like, what is where are they going now? Where are they? What do you mean there's six different
0: Spider-Mans? There are two. The, the multiverse stuff is getting out of control on the superhero business. But yeah, when you start to wrap your brain around the, the, the expanse of the, of space, like what happens if you're out there and your ship breaks down? Well, you'll be annihilated in the cold, dark expanse <laughs> of space. But, uh, and that, 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 that video I was, re- was referencing where we're just a dot. That's just the, the size of the known universe. Never mind what's beyond the borders.
1: That's why when headlines come out, guess what like scientists learn today or NASA about space, I sometimes I'm like, nope, not today. I'm not ready to <laughs> not ready to learn what else they learned.
0: <laughs> so look up tonight. Around 9:30, maybe and look to the northwest. You might be able to see the Starlink satellites for about 5 minutes. It is Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. In our next segment, we are going to tell you how you can win tickets for the big bomber game on the 29th against Toronto. And it has to do with a little bit of a neighborhood scavenger hunt. Loren went on yesterday. We will explain in our next segment. And then after global news at seven o'clock, we're going to check in with Clay Young. He's talking construction this morning.
1: Yeah, we have had this conversation several times over the past couple of years about that love-hate relationship with the road construction or that demand for housing. You know, we want more, we're desperate for more. Do we have the people to build better roads and more homes in this province? Can we really add to the demand and the capacity given our labor shortage? So we'll have that chat after 7.
0: And then Mackling at 7.35, we are talking about a centennial Yes,
2: 100 years of Daniel McIntyre Collegiate Institute, DMCI. Big celebration next month. I went back to school a few days ago. The school hasn't changed very much. In fact, the facility is absolutely spectacular for a building that is as old as it is. It was a little little interesting to go back. I've only been back a handful of times, but we've got some information for all the Daniel Mack grads out there. We want to celebrate 100 years of
0: graduating classes. All right right now we want to talk about electric bikes electric scooters I'm not sure about your neighborhood I see a lot of them in mine even an electric unicycle there's a guy who goes ripping around like when I'm walking home 10 30 11 I don't see him every day I, I just every every other day but there's a guy who rides around on an electric unicycle and I'm sure he's doing at least 40 kilometers an hour
1: on the sidewalk
0: yeah And at first, I didn't know that that was a thing until he just went, vroom, right past me. And I thought, that's cool. How do you maintain your balance? And then I thought, well, is that maybe a little too fast for the sidewalk? It's definitely too fast for the sidewalk. And, uh, you know, do you have an electric-powered
2: bike or scooter yourself? Maybe your kids do. Do you even know the rules? We're asking this because uh, we're learning this morning about a Kelowna teen that's in critical condition after an incident involving an e-scooter an e-scooter Globals Claudia van Emmerich reports
3: They are a popular way to get around, but an e-scooter ride turned tragic on Friday night near downtown Kelowna when a teen fell off of it, sustaining potentially life-threatening injuries. The 19-year-old Kelowna girl remains in critical condition at KGH. The circumstances of the accident still being investigated.
4: She did fall off the e-scooter, and right now she's in the hospital. So uh, we're just working towards trying to figure out what took place to cause this accident to happen.
3: The girl was riding a rented Lime scooter. It's not known if she was wearing a helmet at the time. And while the scooters are all equipped with helmets, all too often riders are seen not wearing them, despite it being mandatory.
5: Yeah, it was mandatory. Because we've yeah. seen other people ride around without the helmet, so I just assume that it's like a option. Yeah. In a
3: statement to Global News, the company said, "We are deeply saddened by this incident, and we wish the rider a speedy recovery." It's important to emphasize that such occurrences are exceedingly rare, with 99.98% of our rides worldwide concluding without any reported incidents. But police are concerned, saying that they have 109 files involving e-scooter incidents since July 1st of this year alone, from crashes to erratic riding to operating the scooter under the influence.
4: We do see it time and time again, people doubling, people riding them at high rates of speed weaving in and out of traffic, riding them without helmets. These are all dangerous activities that are putting people's lives in danger.
3: And RCMP aren't the only ones concerned, so are doctors. While too busy working in the emergency department today to speak to us on camera, Dr. Jeff Appler told us that he and his colleagues see scooter-related injuries here on a regular basis. He also added that he's been worried that it's just a matter of time before we saw a tragic case like this one. Appler believes the lack of helmet use and alcohol consumption are the two big risk factors for death or a potentially life-altering injury.
4: E-scooters are, are like any other vehicle on the road. You're not supposed to be consuming any kind of narcotics or, or, or alcohol while you're using them. Uh, you are subject to the Motor Vehicle Act that we can charge you with impaired driving.
3: RCMP hoping the most recent serious scooter accident will serve as an important reminder to riders to always be careful and ride responsibly. Claudia Van Emmer, Global News, Kelowna.
1: I certainly saw a lot of the e-bikes, like the electric-powered bikes at the lake this summer. Not as many scooters, but they are rising in popularity. Part of that, I'm sure, is just because it's neat and fun, but also, you know, might be your way to get around. It might be because it's good for the environment. That's been part of the push. And in fact, the environment was mentioned when Manitoba announced last year they were making amendments to the Highway Traffic Act to allow for the use of these things on the roads. And... The question we have this morning is about the rules. So as far as I can tell, you have to be 14 or older. You need to wear a helmet no matter your age. You have to drive in single file on the road like you would if you were on a regular bike. And there are some limits around speed from what I've read, although I'm working to confirm this. If they go, I think, above 32 kilometers per hour, you might even need a driver's license. But 32 kilometers per hour is pretty fast, especially if they're being ridden on the sidewalks. And city of Winnipeg talked years ago about looking into creating some sort of legislation around this. I don't know if that ever happened. I I can't find it anywhere. Some cities have banned the e-scooters. Toronto did a couple years ago and they're still working on figuring out how to manage them. I was reading this morning, Oshawa this summer was mauling, should we get rid of these things? Like we don't have the right protections in place. And in PEI, they actually have a province wide legislation that if it, the battery's too big. If it has too much power, if it goes too fast and their limit is 24 kilometers per hour, then you need to be 16 to have one. So they, they treat it more like a car, but if these things grow in prevalence, we, we need to have better rules.
2: They're incredibly prevalent in Southern California. I was there several times last year. And they're calling it in Carlsbad, the the city that I usually visit and spend the most time in, they're calling it an epidemic because kids are driving them and riding them everywhere. And it's not just kids, it's adults too, but more so kids in the eyes, at least the people that I was speaking to in the articles in the paper, there's a, a genuine concern. Like if you don't like the way cyclists conduct themselves on the road now, multiply that by three or four because they're going that much faster, their ability to go quicker. And I think there's a sense at least this seems to be part of the concern that there's a sense that you can do just about anything with them because they are so powerful and they accelerate so quickly. So that's the e-bikes and then the scooters, of course, Brett, if you travel to any major city, Toronto has gotten rid of them. I had friends who were in Nashville just a couple of weeks ago Um, I can guarantee you that they were riding those scooters after invibing a tiny little bit. Mm -hmm. They're a big part of the landscape for tourism in a lot of cities around the world.
0: Well, we want to celebrate your neighborhood, your neighborhood gems, things maybe you didn't know were in your neighborhood or not necessarily your neighborhood, but maybe a neighborhood you're familiar with. Like Loren yesterday went for a walk not too far from where I live in Osborne Village and you were asking me about, oh, what what about this and what about that? And what did you discover yesterday? Well,
1: I spent years, I, I lived in the village on River Avenue for a couple of years. I lived... On Jesse Avenue, just off Cordon. So I felt like I knew this neighborhood and went for a walk yesterday with a friend. Uh, she's on Roslyn and moved over to Wellington. She's like, let's take, take a cruise down Wellington. And I said, sure, that's a beautiful walk. Uh, let's go over to the Maryland Bridge. And we come around the corner and I said, what's this path here? And she says, well, it's a park. I'm like, What park? And so next thing you know, we decide to walk through the park. It's called Munson Park, which I hadn't realized. And Greg's telling me this morning, it's like 100 years old or something. It's been there forever. Never seen it before. Never walked through it before. It's not a huge park. It's just that that's a neighborhood I thought I knew. And it made me laugh. I loved it, first of all. Mm -hmm. And also thought there must be so many little things like this that would be in your own backyard. And unless you take the left turn instead of the right turn one day, you miss it.
0: Yeah, Munson Park. That's uh, when I do go for walks. Like I, I I'm going for a walk. It's always to Munson Park, whether it's spring, summer. There, there are some shoulder seasons where you have to avoid it because it gets pretty mucky in there. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it's a beautiful walk in the summer, fall, winter, especially. Uh, I think seem to prefer it in the winter. But and then you, as you went over the Maryland Bridge, you hung a right through the gates into Armstrong's Point. Have yeah. you ever been in there?
1: I, I, like I, honestly I felt like. I had just landed in a different city again. So then I turn and there's the Cornish library, which is beautiful. And I think I should go take out a book. And then I walked past a high school I had never heard of. And then next thing you know, I was looking up houses that were for sale because I'm like, this place <laughs> looks sweet. And I don't know what if that's still is that considered what neighborhood is that? Just call Armstrong, the
0: gates. It's Armstrong's point. Yeah.
1: It felt Wolseley too, in some way. But it was a beautiful walk.
0: Yeah, that's East Gate, West Gate. Uh, this and, and last time I walked through there, <laughs> it was funny. I was I'd stop and look at this old house, like, oh wow, and I'd Google it, and it's you know they've got a profile on the Manitoba. Historical. Uh, Historical Society yeah, yeah. and then I'd stop at another one yeah. and I'd Google that same thing there like that is a really cool old neighborhood so you had a good walk yesterday
1: I had a great walk it was a great day we had a great visit but it was just neat because I felt like I had been transported somewhere else
2: tourist in your own town yes. we talk about that from time to time and th- there are a lot of places I uh, uh, say it, the Winnipeg's a city of hidden neighborhoods yeah yeah. So many neat spots that you've maybe never been to before.
0: So let's go around the horn here. The the secret gems or the gems you've discovered in your own neighborhood or in, in maybe in someone else's backyard. So Sarah, why don't we start with you because you're relatively new yeah, to the city? What sure. have you discovered?
6: Well, this probably isn't a surprise to anybody, but I love Kildonan Park. It's just a beautiful spot to go see a play or to just walk around. They have the restaurant in there as well, so no shortage of things to do in there. And Even just walking around, you always stumble upon a new, different path. Pretty easy for me to get lost in there, at least. But, um, yeah, lots of green space. They have a walk-up window for food, I discovered this summer, which was really nice. It was really good. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, the water, everything. Witch's hut. Have you been inside the
2: witch's hut yet?
6: Not yet. See, that's there's so many different little paths you can go off Mm -hmm. of in there. So Mm -hmm. there's still walking
1: time left.
7: Fortress, what about you? I'm, I'm, I'm so guilty. <laughs> like, I go to the same spot. I go to Kildona Park. It's a place yeah. I've always gone to. Um, if I'm going to go for a walk anywhere, uh, I've never heard of Munson's Park in my mm-hmm. entire life. I've never heard of that place I, don't, ever. I really don't
1: think you would unless you lived there. Yeah. It's not like it's a, it's cute, but it's not, I don't think it's a destination park unless yeah. you're in that neighborhood.
7: A place I do like to walk is around Scotia Heights. Like, I've, yeah. I've done some great walks in there. Um, uh, there's the, the Seven Oaks house and uh, my wife and I, when we got married, we got our photos taken there and we kind Of just happened onto that, um, and then I she got to hear the whole history of you know the you know why they call it Seven Oaks and yeah. the, the Battle of Frog Plains and all that sort of thing, which of course she wasn't very interested in hearing about, uh, but I find that kind of stuff interesting, um, but uh, <laughs> uh, but th- that's another place I like to I like to sort of um I walk around, and, and even if, I used to walk around when I when I lived in East Keldon and um. I, I used to just walk around and just like up and down the streets and and, and see the, the little homes and stuff like that. I w- I always found that kind of soothing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Whenever I go for a walk, I always always try to, even though I might walk the same route every time, I always try to notice something that I haven't noticed before. And uh, by the way, if you want to weigh in at 204-780-6868, it doesn't have to be limited to within the perimeter highway. If you got something outside of the city you want to tell us about, do so. Forte, what about you? You know what? Uh, my whole life, I've never
7: really hung out in the Exchange District up until, you know, we kind of moved here and been there quite a bit. And uh, I enjoy all the festivals they have there. I went to Jazz Festival this year and... uh it's just nice. You have the cube stage there. Of course, the king's head. Um, you got, uh, like, I was walking to, I went to the Burt Block party, and I was walking through the exchange to get there, and uh, there's a whole group of people. It must have been, like, 20 people. They all have cameras, and they're all taking pictures, and you go, wow, you know what? All these buildings down here are just beautiful, and they do a lot of f- films here. And oh, yeah. uh, You can't blame them. It's just, I don't know. If you ever just take a nice walk, in the shops, the restaurants they have down here as well, mm. uh, it's just, it's beautiful. It's really, really beautiful.
0: Whenever I, almost every time I'm walking through the exchange, people probably think there's something wrong with me because my head's on a swivel. I'm always like looking up. Oh, look at that. Oh, look at that. Oh, that's neat. My neck hurts. Greg, what about you? Well, one of our listeners, David, David just said, interesting
2: fact, East gate, West gate and middle gate. The gates were originally installed to keep out cows. <laughs> <laughs> really? Really? This is what David says. I'm going with it for now. And uh, unless you have story or proof to the uh, otherwise, that's the that we're Taking that, and we're running with it. So okay. uh, that
7: was a common problem in Winnipeg. Like, if my um, my my wife's grandparents bought a house, just like what you would consider now East Kildonan, and they a cow broken and like back back went and like <laughs> ate all their vegetables in the backyard. Like that was it wasn't uh, out of the well. That's cows. right. It was not out of the realm of. It wasn't something that was odd. Wouldn't
1: that make you happy if you just saw a cow every once in a while, <laughs> like a steer just cruising down, just in the park?
0: Yeah, the closest thing you might see, I might see to that is a turkey
1: wild turkey.
2: Yeah. Or the peacocks, uh, sometimes on Crescent Drive. There's peacocks that uh, really? wander around there. Yeah. I think they escaped from the zoo years ago, and now <laughs> oh, they kind of yeah. just <laughs> they, they use the river to <laughs> as their pathways. And so I always uh, uh, get a chuckle whenever I see a peacock wandering around. But the place I'll give a shout out to really quickly is at the intersection of Sargent Avenue and Valor Road. Growing up, it was just a bus loop. But now it's a commemorative plaza for the Valor Road 3 that won the, uh, that that were awarded the Victoria Cross. And it's an incredible tribute to uh, three Winnipeg heroes. And uh, most of us know that story. It's a way to immerse yourself in it.
0: It's Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. Today we are discussing Neighbourhood Gems Things in your neighborhood or maybe your friend's neighborhood that you never knew were even there. And one of our listeners pointing out something that uh, I haven't heard of it. Have either of you? No. You're wondering if it it was a spelling mistake. I thought it
1: was a voice to text. And I thought, has anyone heard this? And then I Google it. This listener said, Toilers Park in Fort Gary. Nice tribute to some little known Winnipeg baseball history. Very relaxing and a decent spot for fishing. And then when we looked it up, Greg goes, hang on. I was just there.
2: Yeah, I was there this spring, my first BDI of the year, looking for a different place to consume it. Found this park along the the shores of the Red River, and the Toilers were actually a basketball club. They won Canadian senior men's basketball championships in 1926, 27, and 32. Tragically, many of their team members were killed in a plane crash in Nebraska when the team was on its way home from a series of exhibition games in Tulsa, Oklahoma.
0: Oh, wow. So there you go. I'd never heard of that. So thank you very much for sharing that. And I just wanted to mention this as well uh, quickly here, Greg. I'm glad you mentioned the uh, the the monument and tribute to the Valor 3 at Sargent and Valor. Is that where it is? That's right. Because uh, that reminded me as well. Just shout out to Transcona for the uh, Memorial, uh, Tran- the, the Transcona Cenotaph in Memorial Circle Park, which is a beautiful spot. Whoever takes care of that park, I don't know who, if that's the city or what, but they do a magnificent job. It's a beautiful park. And um, I spent a lot of time there when I was staying with my dad a few years ago when I was going through a tough time. And it, A, just it's a beautiful, peaceful spot. And B, it helped to bring some perspective. It's like, yeah, my life feels like it sucks right now. But, you know, when you're reminded of those who gave their lives, it just helped sort of bring everything back to reality. But it's just, it's a wonderful spot. Beautiful. So keep those coming for a chance to win those tickets. We'll pick a winner at 9.15. We can quickly mention Dave's here if you want.
1: I was just going to add, it's it's, uh, when you start looking at the map of Winnipeg and then you pull out and you see all the green space, you start to think there's a whole heck of a lot of places that I clearly don't know about. Dave's I do. Dave talks about his hidden jam being Pine Ridge Hollow. Even before the renovations, he says it was amazing. But if you get out there now, it's like a little small town with lots of shops and festivities. There's even Newburger there all in the middle of nowhere. And it's true. What they've done out there in the last year and a half has been incredible.
0: Wow, I didn't realize they had added so much in the last few years. I'll have to get back out there. Yeah, that's a beautiful, beautiful spot. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb coming up in our next hour at 835. It's one of my favorite days of the month because we are going to be visited by our friend Leland Gordon from the city's animal services, and he always brings a poochie with him. So I've taken my allergy pill just in case. <laughs> it's your chance to have the dog that you want just for a few minutes, Brett. Wait, right.
1: I, I I thought it was just cats.
0: Am ca- I just cats for sure. Dogs sometimes. Oh, okay, we, we had one of the dogs he brought in shed a ton. Yeah, and uh, the leftover we had to actually call Bee Clean to come vacuum the room uh, because it was starting to mess up my allergies.
1: Did so. moose make you sniffle? No. We were out. I think we we're outside. That was pandemic outside gathering.
0: Uh, yeah, we were out. That's right. We were on your front stoop. Yeah. And uh, the, the dog stoop. hair only tends to bother me if it piles up, like I, if I if I'm house sitting, for example, and I, I let the tumbleweeds of mm-hmm. the dog Don't hair come to my house. Gather. Yeah, that's uh, that, then I got to get the vacuum going. No. So. But 204-780-6868, by the way, for a chance to win bomber tickets on the subject of your neighborhood hidden gems. And I think we're going back to, for this segment, Greg, we're going back to your neck of the woods, are we not? For some high school days, you know, uh, when I think of my time in high school, graduated in 1995, I went to a small school and it was a fairly new school when I went, I think I think it opened in 92, so not uh, at the time, not a ton of history yet for College Pierre Elliott Trudeau, but there are a series of events coming up celebrating the centennial of your high school, grade.
2: Yeah, so that means uh, Daniel Mack goes back 100 years, if you don't know what centennial means, all the way back to... 1923, uh, SDMCI, Daniel McIntyre Collegiate Institute. By the time we left, it was just Daniel or Daniel Mack in the heart of the West End celebrating its 100th birthday next month.
8: We have a week-long celebration, which I'm sure you know, coming up. Second week in October, full of <laughs> events, um, capped off by a social at Casa de Menú down the street. And then uh, Saturday, October 14th, we have our open house celebration and then a dinner dance at the convention center. And we hope that the next month or so leading up to that week, current student body, our past student body, and our past and current staff uh, will all get a real feel and I guess even a rejuvenated feel for how amazing this place is. So
2: That's the voice, the very soothing voice of Nick Malandrakis. Nick is a teacher at Daniel Mackey's part of the team tasked with trying to bring as many graduates from all class years together to celebrate the legacy of DMCI. Nick is also... A graduate of Daniel Mack. How strange or wonderful is it to be working in in these hallowed halls?
8: When I first got here, it was surreal because a lot of the teachers that taught me were still here because I wasn't so far removed from being a student. And there's still two teachers here that taught me as a student. So it's very hard. One of the funniest things is I could never bring myself to call those teachers by their first names. to this day, even the staff member or two that are left, I can't, it's very difficult to call them by their first names because that's how you, that's how you got to know them. And so that's, that show of respect. And it's just another testament to the type of relationship that the staff have with students, students have with students and staff with each other here. We're all so grateful to be here, uh, in this building with each other and we take care of each other and we respect each other. And I think that lasts forever.
1: Just when he was referencing the difficulty to, to call your old teacher by their first name, because you're now peers. I married my husband's mother was my French teacher, and it was forever to call her by her real name, because it's like, oh, I have whoo, Mrs. You so-and-so, you know, yes.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, I've only been back to the old stomping grounds three or four times since I graduated back in 87, and I went back to learn more about what my former high school is like today and what they have planned for their 100th birthday. In addition to Nick, I also met Teacher Lorraine Elegan. And guess what? Lorraine is also a former student at Daniel.
9: After junior high, I was suppo- I was supposed to live in St. Vital. I would have been a Dakota kid. Because of faith, things happened with our house and so we ended up moving to Tyndall Park. So I sh- should have been a sister kid. But I, cho- I told my mom, I'm going to take two buses. I don't care. I'm going to go to Daniel Mack. All my friends are here. And it's, I don't regret that at all. There's a certain pride. If you go somewhere and you're wearing a Daniel Mack shirt. Guaranteed someone will come up to you and be like, and say, I graduated from Dino Yeah,
2: Yeah, and any generation. Any generation. Yes. Any generation. Yes.
8: Anywhere. Yeah. Anywhere. Ontario yeah. the neighboring provinces, too. Yeah. All the time. That's why even when we go, sorry to interrupt, no, no, no. Yeah. like when we went to Blue Lake this summer uh, and then to Edmonton, I always bring DMCI stuff. Always. And then someone's like, no way. Yeah. I went there. Or I know this guy. I know yeah. that girl. It's constant. I'm sure from coast to coast.
9: And when they are students go to university, they're wearing their Daniel Mac gear. Yeah. And maybe there's a student who graduated five years before them wearing their Daniel Mac gear, and then they become friends because yes. they went to Daniel Mac. Or if you're just in the grocery store and you're wearing a DMCI shirt, they're like, hey, I went to Daniel Mac." It's just everybody's still proud to say that they went to school here.
2: Brett, I know you're proud of your Transcona roots, and Loren, of course, being from Minnedosa, a huge part of your identity, and I asked Nick about growing up and now working in the West End. How much, Nick, is your identity tied to growing up in this part of the city and and coming to Daniel Mack before you were a teacher?
8: Lots, if not everything. So the teachers that I've had the, the most incredible connections with were from Sergeant Park and Daniel Mack, and so right here in the heart of West End. I grew up here. My mom lives by Sergeant Blue Jean. still. I'm there almost every day. Anybody who's grew up in the West End, you know, you know people from the West End. You know the fixtures in the West End. Those teachers have shaped me. This community has shaped me. It's really made me appreciate you know, hard work and it's made me value family connections, what it takes to be successful, and it's people. It's the relationships you have with people and it's a group effort to get things done and that, that's the West End mentality. So.
2: Now, Melody Walschuk is the current principal at Daniel Mack, and Ms. Walschuk answers a critical question about the reunion, Brett. Now, here's the question If you went to TechVoc and to Daniel Mack, are you welcome? Or are you allowed to come if you went to both?
5: Absolutely. You have maroon pride in your blood, and we expect that you're going to uh, grace us with your presence and to, again, uh, celebrate being uh, a maroon.
2: Is that uh, rivalry still intact? Is it as strong as it ever was?
8: It's stronger than it ever was. (laughs) Ever. Oh, yeah. In every sport. Every single sport.
2: This is good. This is really good.
5: you will see that rivalry October 12th. We will be having our football game on our very own Daniel Mack Field. And who else would we play but Tech Vok? Okay. And so uh, it will be uh, a rivalry that everyone's going to want to come out and uh, participate in and enjoy. You
2: better uh, ship in some extra bleachers for that one. Because <laughs> that, that could be a pretty, pretty big event. So if you attended DMCI, not only do we, we want you to join the celebrations next month, if you have any treasures from your time, listen up.
9: Right now we have a call-out for memorabilia for our open house for different our different categories, like sports, performing arts, even stuff in the West End. If you have photos of like businesses that used to be here, if you have any memorabilia or uniforms or clothing they used to have, we'd love you to contact uh, myself or Nick. Uh, we will hold them for you. If you're if you want us to keep it, we'll just put it in our archives room. If you want to donate it for the day, we'll make sure to take care of it. So that's our big one of our big tasks right now.
2: So that's a call from Lorraine and Nick to share your memorabilia. Ms. Wallace-Chuck would like you to use the tech we almost all have on our phones. If
5: you would like to share a memory of Daniel Mack, again, the information would be on the website. You can then record your memory, send it in to us, and we're creating a video of all of these wonderful memories from our alumni.
2: All right, here's one more official invitation.
8: Everything you need to know for that whole week is on our school website. So if you just Google Daniel McIntyre and go under, you'll just, yeah, community, and then you'll see Centennial. Everything is there for the week. Links to buy tickets, the times and places, everything. All the events. All
2: the events. When is the dinner again so I can put it in my calendar?
9: It's on October 14th uh, at the RBC Convention Center.
2: Starting like nice and early and then goes nice and late, right? So we can get enough time.
5: Yes, it starts at 7. You should be there by 6 to make sure you have your table. It will go till 1 o'clock. We have comedian uh, Matt Wright, who will be emceeing. We have the Janssen Boys, who will be performing. And we have Sensational Sound to wrap up the evening with uh, uh, lots of dancing. So it will be a wonderful evening to, to, to celebrate the 100th.
2: There's no such thing as a former Maroon. Once a Maroon, always a Maroon, so calling out the Daniel Mack graduates. If you know one and this isn't on their radar, please let them know about this. It's been an absolute honor to be back back in this building that I owe so much to. So thank you all for this and thanks for bringing everybody together. So, by the way, there's a deadline for Centennial merchandise from our friends at Zuike, Brett. I know that's probably got your radar uh, swirling and and, uh, you'd like to maybe take a peek at that. Get your orders in by this week, by the 15th, if you want it in time for the 100 year celebration of uh, one of the great institutions in our community, Daniel Mack. Daniel McIntyre Collegiate Institute,
0: DMCI. Go yeah, Maroons! I'm just looking at their stuff right now, the, the merchandise. Yeah, it looks like you can get some pretty sweet stuff uh, for this anniversary if you want to pick up some nice outerwear from Zwicky uh, to celebrate your school. Some nice hoodies some jackets and some, some loungers. That's a fancy way of saying sweatpants or joggers, if you prefer. Even some shorts. Wow. T-shirts, they went all out on this stuff. Good for them. Yeah. It's going to be a great event. So if uh, you need more information, reach out to
2: me via email, text message, social media, I'll connect you to uh, all the places you need to get to get tickets. So uh, we can get together face to face next month.
0: It's Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. We're asking you this morning about your neighborhood gems after Loren discovered Munson Park yesterday for the first time on Wellington Crescent as you approach Academy. And then the Armstrong's Point, a neighborhood just off the Maryland Bridge, a historic neighborhood in the city of Winnipeg that has the gates right in front of it, and uh, sometimes police waiting to pick you off for a speeding ticket, which is where I got caught.
1: (laughs) You had said, did you go through the gates? And I was like, well, there were gates. And then you're like, well, the streets are called West Gate, East Gate, you know. I'm not that observant.
0: Well, I couldn't. I thought it was the neighborhood was called the Gates, and then I Googled the Gates neighborhood, Winnipeg, and there's a there's actually a Gates neighborhood in Amber Trails.
1: Oh, here we go. Oh, is there
0: really? Yeah, looks like maybe a newer one, but uh, so the the the, the map showed it was Armstrong's Point. Got it. Right. Yeah, pretty exclusive. Once upon a time. What does Donna say?
1: A few years ago, I found a lovely park in St. Vital that has those figures carved into the trees and things. It's All a fun right. place to walk. Also found a suspension bridge and the hiking trails near Pinawa. Always fun to find something new to do, says Donna. And that's the Bois d'Esprit. You've been there with oh, your okay. kids, right? I, I intentionally went there a few years ago because we were talking about hidden gems. And I thought, I don't know that. And it was really cool especially for kids, because you're looking as you're hiking to try to find those carvings. And then summer, winter, fall, I've actually pulled over. There's a no-frills by, and I'll stop and get some groceries and then go for a little walk.
0: Yeah, that's a beautiful park. I went through there last year in the winter. for the first time. The carvings in there are just spectacular. And this one in Boz... We're going to read another one here that kind of connects multiple dots in a second, but this one in Bozazur, it sounds cool. Train Whistle Park in Bozazur. 15 years ago, it was just a caboose In a grassy area, now it's part of a beautiful pathway that brings a beautiful space to life. Spent lots of times hanging around the caboose as a kid, and now my kid sister does the same. It's just a wonderful and safe hangout area. So that makes me happy, especially uh, when you, and I think it was you, Greg, who pointed out how drastically they've changed the train engine on Plessy's. Uh, and how they've spruced up that space. And now it's just a beautiful oh. tribute and monument. So well, it sounds like they did the same kind of thing in bosa So that's great. Awesome. The caboose in Minidosa as well, right on Main Street.
1: Yeah. Parked by see, the river. so funny how you loved climbing on those things when oh, you were caboose little. Caboose is the best. Yes.
0: What does Chesney have to say? Well, Ches- this?
1: Chesney's tying in a couple of things. So Chesney's 71 and enjoys riding his bike. He says there's so many places to ride in his area in Keniston. Areas to ride near Assiniboine Park, Fort White Alive, Great paths, so much nature to see, wild turkeys, et cetera. And also adds that there are now a lot of electric bikes that many seniors and couples have taken up riding them, which is nice to ski- see. And then scooters, he thinks, are mostly for the young people because it's not destination, it's leisure riding, not necessarily destination riding. But that tied back to something we brought up at 637, are you seeing more of those electric powered bikes or scooters out there? Because there was a teen in Kelowna that was really badly hurt from a fall and are we working towards any sort of laws around them? Because yes, sure. It's great that seniors are using them. Sure. It's great that people might use it for active transportation rather than cars, cheaper alternative, but they can go really fast. A lot of people I don't see wearing helmets on them, which I'm pretty sure you're supposed to. And uh, how are we going to navigate all that, Greg? Yeah.
2: Well, once again, we mentioned the idea that a lot of these tourist communities, these bigger cities where they have an abundance of tourism, even in Vern in BC, they have these scooters. My fake niece, Actually had a crash with one over the summer. She ended up in the hospital. And the only person, Brett, that I know that owns one of these electric scooters is 79 years old. My father-in-law has one of these electric yeah. scooters and he just loves
7: they it.
1: They will be all the rage for if, if there's going to be any demo that grabs onto that because that's what you see in places like Vancouver and, and my parents are talking about getting one because they love to cycle, but they like the option, particularly when you have hills, mm-hmm. of employing the, the power to it. So I think there'll they'll be an explosion of them here soon. We should probably get ahead of it with some sort of regulations. <laughs>
0: It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Very excited for our next segment. We'll tell you why in a moment. But a reminder, we've got bomber tickets to give away for the big game on September 29th, Friday, September 29th, when the Toronto Argonauts come to town, the big Great Cup rematch. And we're asking you to just tell us about a neighborhood gem that you love or perhaps one you've discovered. And listener Mike Maskell, Uh, touched on the spot that inspired this whole thing was your your first visit yesterday to Munson Park on Wellington Crescent. Yes,
1: I'm out walking with a friend and I see this path and I think, what the heck is this? I used to live in and around here and it's this cute little park off the Assiniboine and Mike texted to say that he and his wife discovered Munson Park two weeks ago after dining at 529 Wellington for lunch. So I'm thinking Mike's about to tell me they went for a nice walk after lunch. No, Mike says, we saw a driveway into the park and realized very quickly it was not a driveway for vehicles, but for pedestrians and cyclists. To our embarrassment, we had to slowly drive along until we hit another paved entrance, which equally showed no signage to suggest no vehicle entry. Won't make that mistake again.
0: Uh, They must have had the gates open for maintenance vehicles or something. Well, at least least, uh,
2: Mike didn't take his glider through there. right? It could have been a whole lot a lot
0: more interesting or worse questioning your navigation skills this morning mike but in the meantime great story well done i'm sure it was a lovely drive so tell us your neighborhood gems for a chance to win those tickets we'll pick a winner at nine fifteen. in the meantime let's say hello for a monthly visit to leland gordon general manager of animal services for the city of winnipeg with paul the dog leland good morning good morning Tell us about Paul. So we've got this gorgeous yellow lab
6: mix named Paul. He's been with us for a few months. He loves people, loves dogs, loves kids, even cats. Um, he's lived in a Winnipeg fire paramedic station for a few months. Um, just a lovely dog. He knows tricks. He knows sit, paw down. Um, very treat-motivated, just like me. You know, I'm treat-motivated. The dog's treat-motivated, too. And um, so if people want to see pictures of Paul, go to Winnipeg Animal Services section of the City of Winnipeg website. Go to the City of website. Go in there, and you can see lots of pictures. Or you can like Winnipeg Animal Services on uh, social media.
1: Oh, he's a good boy. He just, speaking of being tri- treat-oriented, sorry, Greg, to interrupt, but I just watched Brett basically on command get a great photo, I think, from Paul because of his desire for a little snack. So there you go.
2: I always wonder... Because I'm ready to take him home, as I am most mornings, to uh, bring the animals home. How is it that people will meet Paul and then decide that they're not going to take him home, especially if he's come, if they've come to see you at animal services with maybe the express intent of taking home a dog? There's so many
6: dogs, you know, maybe they get distracted by all our other dogs. Like our regular capacity right now is 20 and we have about 30 to 35 dogs every day in the building, which is very sad. Um, but again, a lot of people, they'll look at the pictures of the dog on our website, on our social media channels, and then they'll come down and say, hey, I'd like to see this dog. And then they can take the dog on a doggy date if they like, which means they can test drive the dog and just take it out like a library book for fun for a day up to Paul, a week. Paul, don't be
2: listening to all this and, the way um, Leland's talking about <laughs> you.
6: And so we have people, we probably have three or four families a day coming to animal services. Some of them want to adopt a dog. Some of them just want to help us and give a dog a break from animal service Says,
1: taking dogs out on doggy dates.
6: I didn't hear you say, how old is Paul? Paul's like a year or two old, very young, young, beautiful dog.
1: Paul yeah. is, I am tempted right now to bring him home just for a bit of a doggy date for Moose. But speaking to my dog, Leland, you've been on the show several times this year just talking about the overflow mm-hmm. and how you're just seeing too many dogs, whether they're being abandoned or people decide they can't care for them anymore. Is that trend changing or are we just exactly the same way that we've been for months?
6: We're exactly the same way and it's not changing. And you know what? Bob Barker, as we know, passed Uh away tragically recently and we all watched him for a bazillion years saying, help control the pet population, have your pets spayed and neutered. And there is a chunk of our community or a piece of our community that just won't do it. And we need more people. Um, to spay and neuter their pets. And if they need help and they're low-income residents, the City of Winnipeg helps fund programs at the Humane Society to help people fix their dogs and cats. But that's the number one solution is more people spaying and neutering. And, of course, more people thinking about, do I have the ability to properly care for a pet before adding a pet to your family?
1: I just wanted to jump in there because I just bought dog food yesterday. And the bag I used to get for what I'm pretty sure was $38 38 dollars is now 55 mm-hmm. and that's within the last six months. And so you know we'll'll we'll, we'll work to keep our dog and feed our dog but there are people who might look at that mm-hmm. in that moment and think this is not sustainable. I thought this inflation would be a few months. now it's going on what feels like you know a year, a year and a half. Is the cost still a big part of it, you think, in terms of why you're seeing those dogs being given up or no?
6: No, I think the cost is part of it. I think that people who are and we're we're empathetic to all people. Right. But I think there's people who are struggling financially for years, even before the pandemic, um, who don't have a stable household and they've always been struggling. And unfortunately, then they go out and get a dog. And the problem is that that dog probably won't ever see a vet. It won't get proper food. It won't get training if there's a problem because all those <laughs> things cost money. They're not free, right? And then we see these dogs either being dropped off by their owners who don't want them anymore at our facility or other facilities, or people, some people will lie and say, I found a dog, and then later we found out it was really their dog they have dropped off. Or they just start letting the dogs go on the streets because we're getting there's dogs all over the streets that are running as strays. And when those dogs come into animal services, almost every dog that comes in is not spayed and neutered, not licensed, not vaccinated. Never, you know, when we, if we make contact with anybody, they're like never been to a vet. And so, you know, having a pet is kind of like a privilege, right? And it's kind of like something that, Involves lots of costs, and so people really, really need to think heart, long and hard before they add one to their family.
0: Well, and it's also another thing that that people might not think of, and and I can speak to this: um, is can you afford veterinary care? Because when you have to take your animal to the vet, it's not. A cheap visit, and it can be very expensive.
6: No, I agree. And there, it, it's not like you know, we're, it's not like human healthcare, right? Where if you have a problem with your yourself, you go to a doctor, and it's free, it's covered. There is, there, it's, there's, it's not, it's completely different. Where you go to a local vet, and we're grateful to our vets and the work they do in the community, but it, vet care is not cheap. So you know what. The, the, the takeaway is think long and hard. We need more people to spay and neuter. We have lots of tough people out there for some reason that don't want to spay and neuter. We'll have people at our front counter arguing, you know, um, you know I would never do that to myself. I'm not going to fix my dog or cat. Um, if you've got a special purebred dog and it's registered as a CKC, we get that, right? You know, maybe you, 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 want, you want to have a beautiful husky and, and it's registered and you want to breed it. We get that. But we're seeing more people who just have, you're sitting with a two or three-year-old shepherd mix, Right, And they're not thinking about the health benefits of spaying and neutering. They're not thinking about reducing aggression or roaming, let alone heteropopulation. And then they just don't want to fix their pets. But you know, what? the good thing is there's lots of great stuff. Let's switch to positive here. Lots of great positive things going on in animal services. We have this great adoption program. We have our Doggy Date program. Um, and when people license their pets, you're paying for all that stuff. So when you see a dog like Paul sitting here who's giving kisses right now to our animal services officer... You can be happy that when you license your pet, you're protecting your own dog, which might never get out, right? But you're also helping a dog like Paul. And, of course, that's funding our emergency response. We respond, our animal services officers respond 24-7 to house fires and police incidents uh, involving pets. And so we're there just in case you need
2: us. I let uh, whiskey out. In the middle of the night, every night, every morning. But the other night, he was a little agitated. He was barking, and I'm convinced there were rabbits or other animals in the backyard. And he's barking, and he's outside, and he's you know he's doing his job. So I commend him for that. But I'm always worried. oh, the neighbors must think this terrible. You know, so I do my best to make sure that my dogs are well behaved all the time. But how do you handle? How do you handle a barking dog that maybe doesn't live at your house, if you know what I'm getting at?
6: Well, the first thing you want to try and do is you know, be part of your community, right? And if you can talk to the person, safely do so. But if not, we can get involved, right? But what I would say is people need to understand that if your dog's barking, you got to bring it inside. You need to be supervising your dog when it's outside. And the reason is your neighbor might be a shift worker. Your neighbor might work different hours, right? And if your dog, say, is barking at 10 in the morning, that person might be sleeping, right? Right. So it's important that your dog doesn't have an effect on your neighbors. And so the kindest thing to do is if your dog's barking, bring it out. Don't leave your dog outside for hours and hours of time. Um, but the, the, our, our process essentially is we get we have lots of barking complaints, unfortunately. We usually start off with, with an educational kind of warning letter or caution that we just mail out, right? And a lot of times people don't realize that their dog was having an effect on their neighbor, and then they change their behavior. So um, again, making sure your pet doesn't have an impact on your community.
1: Or Brett, that could be like me. We didn't really- our back door wasn't latching, and Moose would just let himself out, and then couldn't get back in. And that really annoyed some people. And I get it. He barks like death is coming, and you need to get to him now. It's so loud. So good
0: advice. When it comes to the barking, with uh, is there a threshold for a neighbor? Like I, I dogs bark, so if I'm if I hear a dog barking, like whatever it go. If, but if a dog's barking for 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes. Like at what point is there a a threshold where where it's acceptable to call the city and complain? So in our bylaw, the Responsible Pet Ownership Bylaw, which you can look at the city of Winnipeg's website
6: and the full bylaw is on there. It says you will not unduly... Unduly uh, allow your dog to bark and disturb your neighbors, right? So there is no like 10 minutes my dog is barking and I'm going to take my dog back in and let it bark for another 10 minutes. Like there's no uh, finite period of time. Um, so the idea is we, we have mechanisms. We have that caution letter. Then people can start, you know, documenting how long the dog's barking. Then we can have an officer going to somebody's house and saying, hey, you need to get control of your dog. You know, your dog's really having an impact. And then the final thing is we can issue a ticket. How do we prevent all those uses of city resources is is just people need to be responsible pet owners
0: and if your dog's barking bring your dog back in the home Leland Gordon With Animal Services and Paul the dog. And once again, if people want to see where they, Paul, where
6: do they go for that? So if people want more information about pet licensing or information on Paul or all the other great dogs we have for adoption, go to the City of Winnipeg's website, winnipeg.ca, go into the Animal Services section or like Winnipeg Animal Services on Facebook and Instagram.
0: And I'll put, I got got a couple of cute videos of Paul, so I'll post those on my Instagram story and uh, put a link up to the City website there as well. Leland, thank you for coming in. Thanks for having us. And Paul, nice to meet you, Paul's more obsessed with getting treats than uh, saying hello to us today. But he's very playful, lots of fun. If you need a dog, Paul is a good one. Oh, that face, those eyes, handsome
4: he's so, pooch. He's so cute. <laughs>
0: 919 Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, we have bomber tickets to give away for September 29th versus the Toronto Argonauts. We're asking you about your hidden neighborhood gems this morning because Loren discovered Munson Park yesterday off Wellington Crescent for the first time, even though she once upon a time lived not too far from there. And then Armstrong's Point, that's that neighborhood with the gates just off the Maryland Bridge, which has some spectacular old houses, huge houses. The library looks really cool. Uh, So we're just getting lots of cool stuff like Brent who says, can't remember the the name, but there's a cool trail on the peninsula between the red and LaSalle rivers in St. Norbert just randomly stumbled upon it while visiting friends. So that's a cool one. Rick says buns Creek walking trail. Yep. That's a good one. Um, That's
1: a perfect example. I remember going to do an interview with someone who lived near there and they said, well, let's go do it out on the trails. And then you get out there, you, you stop hearing the noises of traffic. And like, it just, that's cool. That's a cool spot.
0: Yeah, good pick. And then Todd in St. Boniface with a reminder that, um, hang on a second. He says, uh, Rue de Rue Chambeaux is a street of riches and the uh, Gabrielle Roy, famous author house she lived, still exists And pardon me, the Roy Gabrielle River Trail, which exists but in need of repair and maintenance. But, uh, yeah, that's cool. That's a nice-looking house. The absolute hidden gems in our community. I just love
2: when we have these discussions because I end up with a short list of places to go that I haven't been. And, you know, I always make this analogy. Winnipeg's such a small town. You bump into people here, there, and everywhere. Or there are people that I graduated high school from that have not left Winnipeg and I've not seen them. Since 1987. I can never you know, figure that out. i have bumped into them
1: at all. I, I, you know, this is the opposite end of wanting to run into people who you went to school with. But, you know, there might be someone in your life you think, if I ever see them again, this is what I'd say to them. And then you never see them again. You don't get that opportunity to give them the, their comeuppance.
0: <laughs> give them the what's for. Uh, but uh, who's our winner? I, I guess for liberation. We're going with Michelle.
1: Michelle says, three years ago, we discovered spruce woods. There are many trails, beautiful scenery, camping at Kitchy Manitou. Last year, we did the Devil's Punch Bowl in September. It took us four hours, but we did it. It's difficult if you're not used to doing this type of trail. Definitely need good shoes and water, but very satisfying at the end to complete. And their their discovery came with a whole bunch of pictures. And uh, I'll just be honest, I'm biased. I like spruce woods. So, Michelle, thank you for sharing that.
0: It's not really a neighborhood, though, is it?
1: That's a good point. Well, why didn't we? We could have yelled that out like (laughs) half an hour ago. You can't. (laughs) Paper rock scissors a minute ago. We just said hidden gems. (laughs) Did we make it specific to a neighborhood? It's the the neighborhood of Carberry. (laughs) (laughs) No, seriously. It's not
2: even in Carberry.
1: It's it's just south of Glenboro.
0: But it's a good reminder to head out to the Devil's Punch Bowl. It's something I say I want to do every year. Uh, So congrats, Michelle. You're getting the bomber tickets for September 29th. And after Global News at 9.30, we want to tell you about something special that's coming up in Winnipeg next week. And it is approaching a deadline for ticket sales for Friday. Our next guest is persevering through a cancer diagnosis and is the honorary chair at the upcoming Daffodil Gala on September 23rd.
2: That's right, Brett. Brett. My computer just froze for a moment there. For 36 years, the Daffodil Gala has been one of the Canadian Cancer Society's signature gala events in our city. Over 300 patrons attend the 35th annual gala, raising $278,000. The deadline to buy tickets for next week's gala gala is this Friday. Who's on the line, Laurent?
1: Well, it's clearly an important event for so many of us who might have been connected or impacted by cancer, and and that's the story of Kim Kirschenbaum, who was di- diagnosed with a rare form of breast cancer in 2019. We say good morning to Kim. How are you?
10: Good morning. I'm very well, thank you. How are you all?
1: We're good, and I and always so pleased to speak with someone who who who's been through this, who's going through this, to to share what what it's like because it's uh, I can only imagine it's easy to say your world must have turned upside down three years ago when you got that news, Kim.
10: Absolutely. Um, You know, what uh, was really interesting with my diagnosis was there was really no pre-indicators. So, you know, as you get into your 50s, they tell you to go for screenings, which I did. This particular type of rare um, breast cancer is uh, inflammatory breast cancer, which is in your milk duct. So there's not a lump like the usual breast cancer. It actually rears its ugly head right overnight. So I literally woke up with a left breast that was the size of a 10-pin bowling ball, rock hard, red, inflamed, and we were just baffled. Immediately went in for a mammogram. They took a look at me and said, wow, not sure what we can do, ultrasound. This was December 2019. I had just turned 50. We had just celebrated in New York uh, with a trip. Um, Hanukkah, Christmas, all of that was coming around. And here I was um, going through all of these biopsies and tests and scans with an ultimate diagnosis of stage 4 Um, metastatic uh, inflammatory breast cancer, which had spread to my abdomen, my pelvis, my spine, and my lungs. And statistics were really grim. So it wasn't a great way to start 2020. You don't
2: even have time necessarily even to catch your breath at that point, Kim, because you get all this information all at once. And just listening to you list off the number of issues that you were dealing with, how quickly does your mind switch to, okay, what do we need to do? What's the plan here? How are we going to battle this?
10: Well, it's really interesting because our house is a really positive household and we live our life that way. Uh, my husband, uh, Barry Kay, which you probably all know, we're all about the positivity with my daughter. But I'll tell you that diagnosis day threw us through a loop. And you're right. I had a pity party that night. And in fact, I went downstairs and I picked out the dress that I'd be buried in. Um, they gave me Diagnosis was was not great, and they, uh, you know, said you probably have about two hours to live. You need to get your affairs in order. So you're right, things go very very quickly. Sorry, Kim. Two hours, yeah. And I decided at that moment, I had my pity party. I cried. I picked up my funeral dress. And um, my husband and I looked at each other and I said, you know what? I am not done here. Our daughter is going to graduate grade 12. We are celebrating 30 years with our entertainment company. I just got promoted at my work to assistant vice president. I am not done and we are going to fight this thing. And that is exactly what I did.
0: So what kind of treatment did you
10: have to undergo then? So it's fortunate. This is an extremely rare type. Less than 1% of um, people diagnosed with breast cancer will have this kind. I fortunately qualified for a U.S. clinical trial, which was targeted therap- uh, therapy, immunotherapy for what I had. Um, that did work for me. We immediately started within seven days. I had had all my scans, met with my oncologist, had my first chemo treatment. Um, of course, my hair fell out, which was traumatic for me, because if you know me, hair and shoes is my thing. Uh, again, I cried for about 20 minutes. My husband looked at me and said, your hair is not what makes you beautiful. Let's kick this thing. And we did. That treatment worked for me for about eight months, which was textbook with the clinical trial. And then we moved on to another concoction, old school concoction, and I've been on it since. And um, I will need chemo the rest of my life. There's nothing to remove. So chemotherapy is my only treatment option. It is for most people with this type of cancer. But I am happy to say that aggressive treatment that I've been on since then. My last scans in May show that my pelvis, abdomen, spine and lungs and lymph nodes are all clear. And we are maintaining this cancer where it's at. And I am determined to be the spokesperson for this and positivity and just give people hope, which is, I think, ultimately why I was suggested to be the honorary chair for the Daffodil Gala.
1: Kim, you know, you, you think about when we talk took us back to 2019 and that shocking news, and you clearly sound like a person who lives with positivity. But I don't know, man, hearing all the different things you listed off to Greg and, and those moments of that would have hit you. Uh, what is your advice to others to try to, if you get that diagnosis, and it's it sounds like the worst case scenario, what to do with it? Because I think it would be easy for all of us to just say, okay, well, I guess, I guess I have to say goodbye.
10: Um, Yeah, I mean, I just, I really had to, I didn't ask for a prognosis, really. Um, It didn't help me. It wasn't useful information. I suggest, you know, you you do have your moments. You have your moments of pity. You have your moments where you're sad. It really is surrounding yourself with people who love and support you. It really is that desire and determination. I had, I'm a tiny person, I'm 120 pounds normally, and I had 60 pounds of fluid. I couldn't even walk. Um, Making a loop from the kitchen to the living room was, was huge but I set little goals for myself. Today I'm going to walk to the kitchen. Tomorrow I'm going to try and walk just past that. I'm now at the gym running 20 minutes on the treadmill. I am walking seven kilometers a day. I surround myself with people who love and support me. They started a meal train and I just am thankful for every single day. I don't ever look backwards. I never ask why me. I always ask why not me because if not me, it would be someone else. And This way, maybe I can help other people. And I have. I've gone on to coach other people how to get through things. I say, allow yourself that moment to grieve and then leave it there and move forward and look forward. I literally do stop and smell the roses. I get up in the morning and the sunshine is brighter. And everything around you is just a gift. And I just feel people should live that way all the time. You shouldn't need a cancer diagnosis to do that.
2: Kim, how incredible is it that they give you less than a day to live yet the, the the treatment clearly you received treatment that was made available to you despite the odds do you do you ever think
10: about that I think about it daily I'm thankful for it daily my oncologist who specializes in this form of breast cancer calls me her poster child her superstar They really can't explain it. They've never seen anything like it before. And she actually said to me, if I wasn't witnessing this with my own eyes, I wouldn't believe it. Um, I I truly believe that, you know, I'm able to manifest some of it. Some of it is coming from above. Some of it is just written. But it really is um, something that shows never, ever give up hope. And I always say don't count a bomb out. I, you know, it was it was a tough struggle, but it showed me that I can survive. Now, don't get me wrong; it's not easy. It never will be easy. It is a fight every single day. But I wake up every day willing to do that fight. And I just really think that uh, that, contributing with the old school medications. There's so many different cocktails out there, and not necessarily new medications do it for everyone. Mine is, you know, 1930s old school meds, and they just have to work for me, I have a team of people that are, you know, constantly making sure that I'm doing well from a medical side. Same thing from a personal side. Um, My trajectory has changed forever. There's no going back. But, um, you know, I've been put on a journey that I wouldn't have been otherwise. And I'm just I'm, I'm grateful for it. And I do hope that one day we can find a cure. And maybe that's my mandate. I'm working with my oncologist for awareness. I want women uh, men to advocate for themselves. If something seems wrong, go get it checked and don't take no for an answer. Um, just keep looking for medications that can work. Keep positive and surround yourself with the things that you love and those that support you know provide support to you. Because you'll find out who's on your team and, and who's not through this process.
0: And of course, we can't fight back against cancer without events like the Daffodil Gala for the Canadian Cancer Society over the last thirty-five years. The, that event alone has raised $10 million for cancer research. You can get tickets at cancer.ca. Just scroll down to the bottom to, to the spot where it says find an event near you. The, ticket de- the deadline to buy tickets is this Friday, and uh, there's a journey. You can win a prize like a Journey to Churchill trip or two tickets anywhere WestJet flies and lots of fun stuff. You can play Plinko to win a pizza oven, so it sounds like it's going to be a great time. Emceed by your husband, Barry Kay.
10: Yeah, it's going to be a very special moment for me, bittersweet. It's going to be difficult for him, but I think that it's going to be a wonderful night. So I invite everyone, if you can, to come join us and, yes, raise money for cancer research. But let's have a night where we can just celebrate being together and, and sharing in the joy. And we are making progress. And one day I will be on with the three of you saying, you know, cancer is gone and we're not going to have to worry about it ever again. Cheers to that.
0: Kim Kirshenbaum, thank you so much for joining us. Kim is the honorary chair for the 36th Daffodil Gala for the Canadian Cancer Society, which is again happening Saturday, September 23rd at the RBC Convention Centre. Ticket deadline is this Friday.